Welcome, everybody. I am Rachel Levy-Lesser. And I am Stephanie Goldstein, and this is Life's Accessories, a podcast about accessories, clothing, fashion, and the stories behind them. We are two friends who love to accessorize and who remember what we wore on pretty much every meaningful occasion, and that is what we love to talk about. We hope you'll follow us on Instagram at Life's Accessories Podcast and also on Facebook. And please feel free to email us at lifesaccessoriespodcast at gmail.com with comments, questions, or accessory suggestions, which we love. We love accessory suggestions. We love them for the podcast and we love them in real life. If you say, why don't you wear this pair of earrings or this scarf? We'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) And if you like what you're listening to, we would love it for you to share this podcast with a friend and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Today, I'm excited to tell you listeners that we are going to be talking to Dinah Lenny. We sure are. Okay. ER, Murphy Brown, The West Wing. I mean, we've all heard of those shows, right? Some of our favorites. Some of our favorites. And that is how you might know of Dinah Lenny. And she is the author and editor of six books, most recently Coffee Object Lessons, and forthcoming from Bloomsbury Publishers called Snapshots. She's authored two memoirs memoirs, right? (laughs) I like memoir. 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 The Object Parade and Bigger Than Life. She's very prolific. I mean, an actor and a writer. I cannot wait to ask her about some of her co-stars, shall I say, on those television shows. (laughs) Dinah is also a TEDx speaker, which I have so much respect for, and a graduate of Yale. Also respect for that university, where at Yale, she did not study theater And she's a graduate of the Neighborhood Playhouse, I should say, where she did study theater and the Bennington Writer Seminar, where she presently serves as a member of the core faculty in nonfiction. She teaches, too. You have heard that. Right. She's taught writing and acting in schools all over the country and co-wrote Acting for Young Actor director Mary Lou Belly. Dinah served as a longtime nonfiction editor for the Los Angeles Review of Books and co-edited Brief Encounters, a collection of contemporary nonfiction with the late Judith Kitchen. Dinah lives, and she says here in her bio, reads, writes, grinds, and brews (laughs) with her husband in Echo Park, California. I can tell I'm already going to love her. Me too. So let's bring her on. Welcome to Life's Accessories. We are so happy to have you here. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. Hi, Dinah. It's great to see you. And now I'm excited to ask you the big question of the day, which is what accessory or piece of clothing or meaningful item or what have you would you like to talk about today with us? Well, it, you know, it was very hard to choose because I'm, I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm uh, the queen of attachment. So, you know, I could have gone to any number of things, but I think my mother gave me a suit for my 35th birthday and it was very special. And I think I'd like to start with that. Please do tell us about the suit. So um, when I turned 35, my mother decided to take me and this is, you know, very sort of privileged and, you know, slightly disgusting, but my mother took me to, that's okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Took me, I mean, I feel like, you know, we spent a lot of time apologizing for this stuff now. Right. We did a whole episode on an Hermes scarf and we kept apologizing, but that's where the scarf was from. Okay. Right. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> so when I was 35, my mother, and at that point, the mother of one, I, um, I would, after that, I would have another baby, but I had a little girl and she was at the time two years old and I had lost my baby weight and was feeling, you know, pretty good about things. And 35 seemed to be sort of an enormous kind of transitional place, um, even more so than 30 in a way, I think. But anyway, my mother came out to Los Angeles. She's She lives in New York and she came out to Los Angeles to visit. And she took me into the Armani store in Beverly Hills. And I was fitted for the, an Armani suit. Uh, jacket, pants, and skirt. I love your mother. (laughs) Can she take me shopping? Yes, she can. You know, she would happily take anybody shopping. This kind of shopping suits her. Um, She would be happy to take you shopping. You know what? More important than the fact that it was an Armani suit is the fact that you've got this like incredible memory with your mother, right? Yes, I do. And, and, you know, of course, as with most mother memories, the memory is fraught. But yes, yes, definitely. Uh, and it was incredible because when you go to Armani to be fitted for a suit, it's like being fitted for a wedding dress, which by the way, you know, I didn't do, but, but it's that thing where you stand on a little pedestal and people are scurrying around and lifting the, pinning the hem and right. adjusting this and that. And the other thing is it was Armani. And so, you know, this is 30 years ago now and the suit is in tip-top shape. You know, it's Mm -hmm. gorgeous. The material is gorgeous. It's bottle green, this sort of dark, wonderful, like a, you know, St. Pauli girl. Is St. Pauli girl green? It's that green, that deep green of a beer bottle. And, um, and narrow lapels and, and uh, single buttons. And, you know, the big thing with this suit, I must tell you, is the pants, because they're those wonderful kind of Hepburn Bacall pleated front wide leg pants. Mm -hmm. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Well, it's so funny because you got me thinking as you're talking here. First of all, this is the first suit to appear on Life's Accessories. So congratulations. (laughs) I clearly remember my first suit that actually my mom purchased for me. And I was a little bit younger, but I will say it wasn't as fancy. I was 21 and I was about to graduate from college and I needed a real suit to interview for jobs. And so my mom took me to the Banana Republic in downtown Philadelphia near where I went to college. And we got this brown tweed. It was a skirt suit. And that felt like a big deal too. Very special. There was a little fighting here and there about, you know, (laughs) length and skirt versus pants. So I actually, that brings me to my point. I'm curious. So it was a pantsuit, right? Well, it was, it was three pieces. There were pants, there was Mm -hmm. a jacket, and there was this very, um, kind of, you know, A-line skirt um, to the knee, um, which I I must say, I, I probably wore the skirt, you know, three times. It was really about those pants. But having and that it, option, right? That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, it was part of the deal. I had options. Um, and the thing that's so interesting about that, I think, Rachel, you know, you're saying that you bought this suit to sort of go and interview for jobs. It was like, what? You know, when I think about, back about it to it now, I think, what was I going to do with a suit? Do you know what I mean? I was 
I was an actor in Los Angeles. It didn't occur to me that a suit wasn't something I needed, but actually it wasn't as though I was going in for that kind of gig. Although the interesting thing is that I wore the suit to every audition. Mm. And then I wore the suit quite often. You go in for a, a, a job, a short gig and, and, um, an acting job, I mean, and wardrobe doesn't know what to put on you. And I wore the suit, you know, I wore it on the West Wing. And I also wound up wearing the suit to, you know, as it turns out, I wore the suit to a lot of funerals, you know, like Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. was the time in my life when people, grandparents and people started dying and I started wearing my suit to funerals and and then thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to associate the suit with funerals, which I don't, I don't. Right. I was, I was thinking too about, so before I went off to the real world, so my mom took me on the suit shopping trip. We ended up at the Ann Taylor on the second floor mm. of the Burlington Mall in Burlington, Massachusetts wow. and black suit, jacket, skirt, pants, and a dress. I don't know. Maybe there was a coupon that day, but <laughs> the fact of the matter is having those options was terrific. So you could just, depending on what you were doing and where you were going, but it just sounds like your suit has just stood the test of time. It certainly has. Um, the thing that was interesting about the suit is that if you know my mother, this is the way she dressed. She was a New Yorker. She was a designer. Every day she pulled on those gorgeous pantyhose and put on her, her T-strap Ferragamos, and that's how she dressed. And I think right up until probably around that time in my life, I very much wanted to grow up to be her. And so I think I supposed that I would also dress that way. In fact, I don't. The suit is really all I have that sort of mimics that lifestyle. I wear baggy pants and and jeans and clogs and, you know, t-shirts and appropriately or inappropriately, I am not a designer person. So that is the designer element of my life. That's it. That brings me to my next question, which is just something that I think about a lot because like you were describing what you wear these days, it sounds like we're wearing similar pieces of clothing, or I should say we're dressing in a similar style and level of casualness. Where is this suit now? Who wears it? Do you wear suits anymore? Would you buy suits anymore? Because honestly, I don't think I have any more real skirt suits. No, I might not even have pants suits. I just have like some separates, but mostly I'm much more casual. I mean, not only do I not wear suits and it would never occur to me to buy a suit. It wouldn't. Um, Since the pandemic, you know, I don't think I've put on pantyhose in three years. Why would I? Amen. You know, and I transitioned away from auditioning where I was in costume, where I was putting forth a kind of a to to teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, and teaching meant that I was very casual that once in a while you sort of tried to present with a little flair. But mostly, you know, yeah, I showed up looking a lot like my students, except older, Mm -hmm. as I say, in my jeans and my clogs. But the suit lives lived, I should say, in in an upstairs closet here. So not in the closet that I regularly tap. It lived in the coat closet. Mm -hmm. And it lived there, frankly, because at some point over the last 30 years, I put on the four to six pounds that made the suit not available to me. 
Mm-hmm. And the deal was, I'm going to get into the suit again. I'm going to get into the suit again. I have this beautiful daughter. She's 33. And she would periodically come home and open that closet, which used to be her closet, and say, oh, mom, when can <laughs> I have the suit? You know? And I would say, you can have it. You can have it someday. I just want to get into it one more time. <laughs> just one more time. And what happened was, and this is, I think, why I thought of the suit when you asked me about talking to you today. A, a month or so ago, she came over with her wife. They were going to a party. And <laughs> and Eliza said to me, I need something vintage. <laughs> She's brilliant. Right? And she yes. said, Can I borrow the suit? So the first shock was that the suit was vintage. She knows, oh my like, God. Right. You know, like, are you the, I said, sure, of course you can borrow it. I, right. Absolutely. So she took the suit and she went to the party and she came back that night in the suit. She just looked so gorgeous that it was at that point, it was like, yeah, well, you know what? It's not my suit anymore. Uh, she has the suit. That's the suit lives at her house now. But how beautiful, it. right? Oh, that she I know. has it. And you, know and you, know what it, you can visit. You can visit I the can suit. Visit the, <laughs> visit the suit. But you know what? It wasn't wasn't at all painful. You know, it was simply, right. oh my gosh, that was, was time. so great on you. It was time. It was time. That's such a great story. So if we can, we'd love to pivot a bit to your acting career. So you played, we love talking about Murphy Brown. You played Murphy Brown's secretary number three. I did a quick search before we we came on today, and I believe she had 93 secretaries in total. Does that I sound mean, right? I, I didn't yeah, fact I check this, so I don't know. And you also played Nurse Shirley on ER, and we all love ER, but did you always want to be an actor? How did you get into acting? I did always want to be an actor from earliest childhood. I wanted to be an actor. I think in second grade, I auditioned for The Ugly Duckling and I was the narrator. And oh, that was mm. a big blow to me. Do you know, I didn't want to yes. be the narrator. And that was sort of the story of my career, you know, in, in you know, that I kept getting um, n- not the part that I thought I deserved. But but yes, I always wanted to be an actor. And I think I was largely, I was fixated on theater. Hmm. But at some point, somebody said to me and to my husband, who was a screenwriter at the time, you need to get out to Los Angeles and get some television credits if you want to come back and do theater. So that's how we wound up here all those years ago. The interesting thing, if you Google the Murphy Brown, just to say, um, I think the episode was called Devil with a Blue Dress On. Okay. And in fact, that's what I looked like then. I did not look like the woman who wore the bottle green suit, Do you know, just so you know. When you see that girl with, I'm wearing spectacles and my hair is curly and I'm wearing like a peasant dress. Right. I was a dowdy secretary in that episode. And it was much more the way I was cast. I was not cast as the woman in the suit very often. <laughs> 
We were talking about Murphy Brown before. We were huge fans. You are too. West Wing. I was always fascinated with the whole Elvin character of Murphy Brown. The painter. The painter who who never left. Because I feel like everyone has an Elvin in their life, right? That's perfect. Yes, absolutely. You know, and it's funny. I didn't follow the show, but when it came back a few years ago, I was very delighted. I'm sorry that it didn't. It's not on anymore, is it? No, I don't think no, so. But I, I know. Yeah, she was Candace Bergen. She is and was in my, my encounter with her. So lovely. So yeah. gracious. She was just a, a, a lovely human being. Yeah. So. You That's could tell awesome. that. Definitely. Um, since you had such a multifaceted career, I don't mean to like rush you through this because I really could talk to you about Murphy Brown, also ask you about George Clooney and the West Wing, but I do have to move on. I, I'll say George Clooney <laughs> yeah. and then I'll say Rob Lowe in the West Wing, but you know, I digress. Um, of course, talking to us, we're going to talk about writing and I love talking writing, especially memoir. We talked a little bit offline about our books and thank you for sending me the object parade, by the way, which I'm holding right now which was described as an essay collection disguised as a memoir, though perhaps it's the other way around. And I so love that mm-hmm. description and I so get that. So can you talk to us about the object parade, how that came to be and, and why you wrote it? Yes. So I started writing, the object parade is my second book and it took me a very long time to write it. And it began as a kind of a, I was giving myself prompts. I didn't know what I wanted to be writing. And so I was sort of writing about things around the house. And that's a very exciting thing to do for an essayist um, to to find your way into a subject from an angle that you didn't expect. And so the most exciting thing about the object parade was that I would think I was writing about the coffee table and wind up writing about my father-in-law. Or I would think I was writing about the piano, but really what I was writing about was how to raise my children. Or I would think I was writing about my little black dress, but what I was writing about was vanity and Mm -hmm. getting older. So it's very exciting to have that happen because you don't know where things are going. You know, you just have no idea where any of these objects are going to take you. At some point, I think with any project, with any writing project, a friend of mine used to call it critical mass, that suddenly you have a lot of pages and you realize you're working on a book. Mm -hmm. So at some point that happened to me, but I couldn't figure out how to structure the book. And this sort of goes to your question, Rachel, because in terms of, is it essays? Is it memoir? I gave it to one of my friends, colleagues, mentors, a, a wonderful writer. She died a few years ago, Judith Kitchen. And I, Judith said, I said, I don't know what this is. I have all these pages and it doesn't make sense. And I don't know what to do with it. And she said, send it to me. And so I organized it in some way that I thought was meaningful or poetic, or I don't know what the hell I thought, but I sent it to her. And four days later, it came back. And she said, in the email, here's your book. And all she had done was put the essays in chronological mm, order. Love her. Magic. I mean, Magic. you, know, you yeah. really forget, I think writers forget because we remember things out of order and because that's exciting, but mm-hmm. we do forget the chronology is your friend. 
So she said, all I need in this book is to be able to meet these people as they occur in your life so that I'm not saying, wait, who's this? Mm -hmm. So that you're Mm -hmm. not having to backtrack to explain who somebody is. And so what happened when she did that, when she put the, I think I probably had a, you know, 130 pages at that point, when she put it in chronological order, I was able to see who and what was missing in the story. And to understand that, in fact, as much as it was this, you know, sort of me coming to terms with my materialistic self, it was also the story of an actor who leaves New York for Los Angeles and has to figure out how to grow up and raise a couple of kids and let them grow up. And also, because the book took so long to write, by the time I finished it, those kids had left home as part of the story. Well, it's incredible though, how just an outside perspective, right? That was such a seemingly simple tweak, so simple. right? So and, simple. And how people just see things that we don't see when we're so head down in things. I'm curious about your book, Coffee, Object Lessons. And it was described as more than about coffee. It's a personal history and a promise to self. In your confrontation with time, as you face head on the challenges of growing older and carrying on, I just had a milestone birthday. So I'm feeling the growing older and I'm about to embrace the AARP card, the membership. (laughs) Tell us about that project. Yeah, sure. So I think maybe it's true. I've heard writers say that we all have sort of one story to tell. And my story seems to be... Uh, reckoning with time and growing up at whatever, you know, sort of phase of growing up I'm doing. So coffee is very personal. It's very much memoir all over again. And I pitched it that way. When I pitched the object lessons editors, I said they sort of, you know, asked for a kind of a example of what the contents might look like. And it was astonishing to me when I finished the book, although I hadn't adhered to any plan, how close I was to my original thinking. You know, it's coffee and dad, coffee and mom, coffee and my kids, coffee and my husband. So covering different territory, but again, you know, I I tried to jimmy in some stuff about some real stuff about coffee. But one of the things I figured out early on about coffee was that so much has been written about it. I wasn't going to add to that in terms of the history of coffee and the science of coffee. Again, coffee was about uh, living in Los Angeles and figuring out what's important to me here, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and how pretentious am I? And, you know, how, seriously, what do my relationships mean in terms of, you know, and that, which is why I picked coffee in the first place, because it's such a universal, even for people who hate it, do you know, they just have to deal with it. It's everywhere. Do you want to go out for coffee? And that might mean that you're having tea or water, right? right? Right. It doesn't matter. Okay. What's your coffee order? Oh, so what's your favorite way? I always order cappuccino. If I order coffee, I get a cappuccino. I used to be a latte person. Now I'm a latte person. Are you? It's Mm -hmm. too much milk for me now. Mm. Um, So I'm a cappuccino person. But, you know, honestly, the thing about that book is that I did do a ton of research and I wound up knowing a lot more about coffee and caring a lot more about how it tastes. 
Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Even though I was a coffee person, I always drank coffee. I grew up drinking coffee. As with many people, I thought it was supposed to taste kind of dark and, mm-hmm. and burnt and or milky, but I didn't know that it tastes so good. So, you know, now, I mean, now speaking of pretentious, a lovely guy who roasts coffee in Los Angeles delivers me a bag on Wednesdays. I you know, love it. I love, love it. it. Too bad we're not out there because we yeah, can have a cup with you. Right? I would well, I would make you coffee. Also, <laughs> speaking of pretentious, after we're done with this interview, I feel like I'm going to go fire up my Nespresso machine in <laughs> my kitchen, make myself a nice hot cup of coffee. I'll do decaf because it's the afternoon. I'll do a little froth because... Oh, wow. Are you going to make designs in it, Rachel? I don't make designs in it. Not for myself. I love what you're saying about writing. I could listen to you talk about it forever because as you know, I've written a memoir and I feel like that's all I have in me is memoirs and I'm working on another idea and I'm having a little trouble with chronology. So I need a little help on that part because my idea was instead of to just go in straight chronological order to sort of do past, present, past, present, but I digress. It is interesting as a creative person, I think, to get your ideas on paper and then to figure out what can make them into a story or a book or an interview or a podcast. And to understand that that you don't know when you start. And if you did know, you wouldn't have to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My my first book is past, present, past, present, past, present, Rachel. And, and, you know, for that book, it really worked. You know, that was the way to do that book. Okay. to tell two stories, you know? So speaking of stories, can you tell us about your forthcoming book, Snapshots? Snapshots is an anthology. And I'll t- I would love to tell you about it because I'm very excited about it. I did an anthology with Judith Kitchen called Leaf Encounters, which is an anthology of short nonfiction. And there are 77 writers in it. And, you know, it's like wonderful right before bed reading or Mm -hmm. in the bathtub reading. It's, you know, these shorts that can be, you can do three at a time or one at a time. You can skip around. It's really fun. Short nonfiction. When Judith was dying, while we were, we were putting the book together, she knew she wasn't going to live to see the book. Mm -hmm. And she was quite matter of fact about that. And she said, I'm doing this with you because you will do the next one. Brief Encounters was the fourth in a series of these anthologies. So seven years later, eight years later, it was time for me to come up with an idea. I sort of felt that this was a gift, but it was also an assignment. And I felt like, oh gosh, Judith would really want me to be doing another book. The thing is that now there's so much short nonfiction out there. So it didn't feel like something new. It didn't feel like we needed another straight up anthology like that. But so many people are posting photographs now. Mm -hmm. And with writers, what you find is it isn't enough to post the photo. Essays, people are writing whole essays on Instagram, right? And Mm -hmm. Facebook about their photos. Yes. I decided that I would pitch the idea of half the number of writers writing in response to a personal photograph. That's really what cool. Snapshots is. That is neat. When is it coming out? I don't you have know? to okay. it in until December. I hope okay. it will be 2024. It might be 2025. I hope not. I hope it will be maybe spring, summer of 2024. Well, it's a process, right? Yeah, so it is. I mean, at the moment, it's kind of hurting cats. I have right. writers. <laughs> I'm trying to get them to submit their stuff. I'm trying right. to figure out what the right order. And again, you know, 
structure all over again. How should mm-hmm. I structure this? How should I categorize these photos? And the other thing that's so interesting about it, I don't know if you're Instagram. Well, I know you're an Instagram person, Rachel. I thought that people would write in response to their own photographs. And of course, you say to a bunch of writers, write about a photograph and they go to the family album. People are writing in response to old photos, lots of them, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stephanie is an Instagram person. She's the queen of all Instagram reels. She makes very cool reels. (laughs) Oh, cool. Oh, good. I'll have to look. I will. I'm I'm having fun with it. Yes. That's so cool. I'm not very good at that. I'm I'm a little bit borderline cheesy. I'm sure my teenage boys are cringing every time they look, but that's all right. You know what? It's all for fun. It's all for fun. My children cringe, but they're very kind and they don't say anything. It's all out of love, right? Exactly. And when I started on Instagram, my daughter said to me, mom, once a day, once. And I've had a very hard time making that happen. (laughs) Speaking of Instagram, (laughs) this is a perfect transition here. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, please find me on Instagram. I love okay. Instagram. It's just at Dinah Lenny. Okay, that's nice I and easy. I left Twitter. I went back to Facebook, mm-hmm. but I'm just to at Dinah Lenny. Perfect. Okay. Yes, Perfect. follow me and I'll follow you too because I just love the photographs. I think they're so much fun. Yeah, it's very cool. And we'll have to look for a picture of you in that suit or your daughter yes. in the suit. In my, yes. Of my daughter in the suit. She Absolutely. is gorgeous. Yeah, I do have a question that you, when you walked in, did you d- decide I want that color or were you thinking, did you have any preconceived ideas of what you were going to go with? No, I at- mean, that sort of goes back to the mother daughter thing, doesn't it? So I never, I, I never wore green before then mm-hmm. and I never wore green since, but I walked into that store with my mother and it was, you know, at the time the stuff in the store was very classic. And so I imagine there was black and there was navy blue. I know there was navy blue. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known what to choose beyond black or navy blue. And I'm sure it was my mother who said, that's the one. I'm sure it was. Love it. So I it's love that. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, green is a very specific color. I'm thinking, Stephanie, back to our very first guest on the podcast last year, who is a mutual friend of ours, Amy Blumenfeld. Hi, Amy, who's also a writer and her favorite color is green and her accessory was a green Henley from the very fancy store called The Gap. So, oh, yes. you know, green is, no, it's something different, particularly for a suit because we all have our first black suit, but I, I right. love that story. And yeah. I loved listening to you talk about it and sharing well, it with us and, and definitely about your life. Yeah. Definitely a way to stand out. And my gosh, with everything you've accomplished, you stand out, whether a green suit or not. Well, thank what you an incredible very much. Career. I, I, nobody feels like they stand out. I'm very pleased to think that you think so. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, we could talk with you all day long. And we just are so happy that you were able to join us today. And we thank our listeners for tuning in. And Dinah, we thank you for being our guest today. And we hope you will visit that suit often. (laughs) I will. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. 